Matthew chapter 23. Let's read verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Yeshua spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. But as for you, do not be called rabbi, because you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, because you have one father who is in heaven. And do not be called masters either, because you have one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. We're going to go through verses 5 through 12 today. Last week, just by way of just a brief review, we hit verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4, we centered on the scribes and the Pharisees. We learned who they were and that they had a high position in the nation of specifically Judah at that time. But they weren't good leaders. Leaders should be people that set an example that you can come to and ask a question and get a proper answer an answer that has a biblical law foundation. Well, the scribes and Pharisees had veered way off of that, and they had exalted all of their ways and their traditions and what they wanted and what they desired above the word of Yahweh, above the law of Yahweh. And I think that a lot of leaders do that today as well. Leaders who think that it's best to lead with a big stick and a harsh tone rather than in humility and by setting an example. That's what leaders or how leaders should lead. Uh, But we know all through the Bible, leaders have become corrupt. And a lot of times people are hungry for money and they're hungry for power. And they love to be able to boss people around. And uh, that's not how it's supposed to be. So we're going to get more into that in this lesson beginning at verse 5. We read here in verse 5 it says, They do everything to be observed by others. Everything to be observed by others. The first thing I think about when I read that is a spirit of of pride. It could be argued that pride is, I'll say it like this, one of the greatest of all sins. One Bible translation, it's either in the book of Psalms or Proverbs, actually calls pride the greatest of sins. I won't necessarily say that, but it could be argued to be one of the greatest of sins. And that's because it leads to so many other sins. If you have pride, you watch all of the sins that are attached off of that pride. If you knock out pride, if you kill pride in the head, watch all of the sins attached to pride vanish when pride dies. They do everything to be observed by others. Here we have men that are walking around. We're going to see some of the things that they're doing specifically in order to be seen or to be observed by somebody else. And they walk around and they don't care about the praises of Yahweh. 
They don't care what Yahweh thinks about them. All they want to make sure is is that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so or the community of Judah thinks that they're a holy, righteous man. And that's all that matters. They could be living unholy and private or unrighteous when nobody is watching. But as long as somebody's watching, they're doing all these outside actions, these outward actions in order to be seen. That's pride. Now, let me ask you this question. Is there anything wrong with our good works being seen among men? I'll give a biblical answer to that question, and that answer is, well, no. It's inevitable that when we do good works, people are going to see our good works. Hold your finger in Matthew 23 and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we'll read verses 14 through 16, and then we'll do some harmonization. The Bible is always its own best interpreter. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. This is our Messiah speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. He's talking to the crowds, including his disciples. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. You think about a city. He's given us a word picture. A city that's up on, on a hill, especially at nighttime. All the lights there are on. And you can see that city. Or even in the daytime, you see that city on a hill. It's easy to be seen because it's high elevation. And that's what Yeshua is saying. My followers, you're the light of the world. Verse 15. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. That's what these lights here in the sanctuary are for to enable us to see. We don't buy new lights and then stick them in the closet. Right, Brother Dan? You're smiling back there. We don't buy new lights and stick them in the closet. That would be crazy. We put them in the best possible place so that it gives light to the room. Verse 16, in the same way, in the same way as what? A city on a hill and a light in a room. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works. There it is. Men, people, others are going to see your good works. The key is, and the harmonization between Matthew 5 and Matthew 23 is the last part of verse 16. It says, and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 23, 5, they do all their works to be seen by others. The scribes and the Pharisees are doing good works to get glory for themselves. Yeshua's disciples do their good works to bring glory to our Father in heaven. You're going to have times where you obey Yahweh's law and people see you performing those good works. But when they praise you for that, you are to always direct the glory to the Father in heaven and never take any credit for yourself. You're going to have other people. Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. We really should never praise ourselves. We should never boast in ourselves, brag in ourselves, talk highly of ourselves. It's inevitable other people may speak highly of us, and that's fine. We're letting our light shine so that people can see our good works. But when they do that, you should immediately say, thank you, but I'm bought with a price. My body's not my own. It's not me, but Christ that liveth in me. I give glory to the Father in heaven. It's all because of His plan and His purpose in my life. I wouldn't be able to do any good thing 
apart from my heavenly Father. That's the difference between a disciple of Christ and a scribe and a Pharisee. One is humble, the other is prideful. That's a theme that's going to go through these verses tonight. Humility and pride. Matthew chapter 23, we see that the scribes and Pharisees are doing all their works for the purpose of being observed by others. They're not interested in pleasing Yahweh. They just want to make sure that people see them and think highly of them. And then it says two things that they do is they enlarge their phylacteries and they lengthen their tassels. These are two things, not the only two, but these are two things that they do in order to be seen. Now, the word phylactery comes from the Greek word. It's a transliteration from Greek to English. Phylacterion in Greek, phylactery in English. It, it means literally a guard case. And what this was is there were a lot of Israelites throughout history that would read the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Hero Israel, Yahweh our mighty one, Yahweh alone, or Yahweh is one. And they would get to the towards the end of the Shema in verses 8 through 9, and it would say, um, not just these words I'm commanding you today are to be in your heart, and not just teach them to your children, but it says, bind them as a sign upon your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house, and upon your gates. Now, not all Israelites throughout history have interpreted those last parts literally, some have interpreted them only metaphorically. However, some Israelites have interpreted them both literally and metaphorically. And so you see people who write the Shema on the doorpost of their house and their gates or who wear a phylactery on their hand or wrist or arm and on their forehead. And a phylactery was a little, originally, a little leather pouch and there's been some phylacteries unearthed along with the Dead Sea Scrolls in the mid-20th century, the mid-1900s. And when those phylacteries were opened up, I have the book at the house, they were opened up, there were little slips of parchment inside of that leather pouch. And lo and behold, what was written on them? The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. One of the phylacteries actually had the entire Ten Commandments written out on a slip of paper. I'm of the opinion that Shema is both literal and metaphorical. And that's debatable, but that's my belief on that. But what the scribes and Pharisees would do is they would make broad their phylacteries. And we see that this is done even in Judaism today. Now remember, I mentioned last week, Judaism is not the biblical faith. Judaism is a false religion. Uh, it is very likely that the Pharisees are the originators of what we now call Judaism and that people today that are part of the religion of Judaism are the proselytes of the original Pharisees on down the line. But Judaism is a false religion. It's not a biblical faith. It's a dumbing down of Yahweh's law and an exaltation of the traditions of man. But you see this in Judaism today. You see men walking around with a phylactery on their forehead, a lot of them, Jews today, and it's like the size of a, of a 1980s camera on their forehead. Or for the, for the younger generation, it's like putting a, um, an iPhone 6 Plus on your forehead <laughs> and walking around with it with Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 written on the iPhone you know, 6 in, in text. <laughs> Well, why would you do that? Well, obviously you wouldn't do it because it was comfortable. 
that's not comfortable walking around with a camera strapped to your forehead, a six plus. No, that doesn't make any sense. They would do it to be seen because, I'm being sarcastic, the bigger the phylactery, the holier the man. Obviously, right? I mean, you know, you've got to have a big phylactery. Well, the phylacteries found along with the Dead Sea Scrolls um, that is likely, or they were likely worn by the Essenes, they were very small, maybe the size of a, of a quarter or maybe, maybe a 50-cent piece. Some of them were. And um, they were a lot smaller than these big camera-sized phylacteries that the Pharisees wore and that uh, Judaism wears today. They would do this to be seen, and also they would lengthen their tassels. Now, we know the tassels. Most people in here know what the tassels are. The tassels stem from two texts in the law, Numbers 15, 37 through 41, and Deuteronomy 22, verse 12. Both of those passages talks about make fringes or tassels for the borders or the corners of your robe or your garment and put in the tassel a strand or a thread of blue to remind you to obey the commandments. I'm of the belief that the reason for the blue cord or the blue thread is because the Ten Commandments were originally written not on granite. We have granite in our mind because Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments movie, he comes down, right? But they were written on sapphire stone, and they were cubes. They were small cubes, and the commandments were penetrating through the entire cube. And you, That's why the Bible says that it was written on the front and the back of the cube, much smaller than we tend to think in our modern minds. Well, sapphire is blue. And I think that's why Yahweh told the Israelites to make fringes and put a blue thread in them because when they looked at the blue thread, it would remind them of the blue law, the blue stone, the blue sapphire. Well, some of the Israelites, the scribes and Pharisees, they would make long their tassels. And again, we see in Judaism today the removing of the blue thread a lot of times. And I've seen, I was in the airport one time, I remember, I think I was with Brother Arnold, and I saw one of these guys walk by and the tassels were literally touching the ground, hanging on the ground. I mean, you know, of course, you can't help but see it. Well, they lengthened their tassels. The Pharisees would do this to be seen, to make sure people saw the big phylactery on their forehead and their tassels that were really, really long dragging the dust and dragging the ground. Why would you wear long tassels like that? The reason you would, by the way, before I get to my next point, is because you're trying to be showy. You're trying to be prideful. Now, I've often said in the past, and I don't entirely retract this statement, but it's not entirely true either. I've said in the past that the tassels are a good witnessing tool. I've been in the line at the grocery store many times, and I've had the grocer tell me, what are the strings hanging on your shirt? And then I get to witness to them first about the tassels and then I move it on over to the Messiah because he wore tassels. More on that in a second. But the tassels really, there's no Bible verse that says that my tassels are for somebody else to see. All the Bible verses say that they're for Matthew and TJ's are for TJ, Rockets are for Rocket, Frankie's are for Frankie. So that you look at them and you remember to keep the commandments. So I'm not saying that they're not a good witnessing tool. They are. Believe me, I've had it happen many times. But the tassels are really between Matthew and Yahweh, or between Brother Rocket and and Almighty Yahweh, so that we look upon them ourselves, and we remember when we see the blue thread, we remember the blue stone, and we remember the commandments written on those stones. 
and we serve Yahweh. and We follow after His law. There's no need to make them long. It doesn't make us any holier if we have long tassels. It didn't make the Pharisees any holier. But all their works they did to be seen among men. And you know, we can do this. Scribes and Pharisees still exist today. We can do this, maybe not just with tassels and phylacteries, but with other things. I've grown up where there have been women that think that the longer their hair is, the holier that they are. Than other women in the church that don't have long hair as long as them. Or I've grown up and I've seen people that could quote a lot of Scripture and they think that they're better than everybody else because they can quote so much Scripture. Or we might think we got a nice beard or quote a lot of Scripture or we got a real long tunic. That makes us holier than everybody else. There's nothing wrong with the outward aspects of Yahweh's law so long as they're kept in their proper parameters. Yeshua wore tassels. We know this from texts like Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. There's also texts in Mark and Luke. If you have a reference Bible, you'll probably find them. If you use the King James Version, just look up the word Him, H-E-M. And the word Him literally means a fringe or a tassel. It's the Greek word kraspodon. It's the word used in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek Septuagint, kraspodon, for fringe or tassel, in Numbers chapter 15, 37 through 41. Yeshua wore tassels. When he rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for their lengthy tassels and their broad phylacteries, he was wearing tassels when he rebuked them. The problem was not with the tassels. The tassels could be worn justly and rightly. The problem was the lengthening of the tassels in order to be seen out of a pride or braggadocious thing with the scribes and the Pharisees. It's the same thing with the phylacteries. It's possible that Yeshua also wore phylacteries. That's debatable. That's possible. Regardless, he wasn't against the wearing of a phylactery because he mentioned them in the same sentence with the tassels. What he was against was making broad the phylactery in order to puff up yourself and to be seen among men. We've got to remember, Yeshua, when he stated these things, everybody in the community wore tassels. It wasn't like when I walk into Publix and I'm the only guy in there with tassels on and somebody looks at me strange. No, everybody's in robes and in tassels. And there's a, many Israelites in phylacteries, probably not all of them, but many Israelites there in the first century with phylacteries on. So everybody's wearing them, but Yeshua is pointing out, singling out the scribes and Pharisees because they're doing theirs for an act of show. We are never to think that we are better than other people because of things that we do for Yahweh, much less things that we do that are not in the Bible. A lot of times we find that people make these things called standards. This word was thrown around a lot when I was growing up in church. Well, what kind of standards does your church have? And most of the time you would find out that the standards or a lot of the standards of the church were the opinions of the pastor and not the laws of the Bible. And bless God, if you obeyed the standards of the pastor, you were looked upon as righteous, holy, and just. And you may get a front seat or you may have clout and he may treat you differently than somebody else. This is not the ways of Yahweh, brothers and sisters. This is not the ways of Yahweh. The only standard that there is is Yahweh's law. Sin is the transgression of the law. We don't decide what sin is. 
Yahweh does that. That's above our pay grade. Yahweh decides that. We decide whether or not to obey, whether or not to sin. That's our decision. The scribes and the Pharisees were doing all these things to be seen. And then in verse 6 it says, They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. You see those two little words at the beginning of verse 6? They love. They love. That's the key to verses 6 and 7. There were places of honor at banquets. When people would throw or hold a banquet, there were places of honor, and there was nothing wrong with somebody that needed to be honored being honored. The problem was the scribes and Pharisees loved those places of honor. You know, there's nothing wrong with us honoring people. The Bible says in Leviticus 19.32 that we're to stand up for the man with the gray hair. The gray beard is literally what it says in the Hebrew. And we're to rise up before the gray-headed. That's honor. There's nothing wrong with showing honor. There is something wrong, though, with seeking to be honored, seeking prestige, and being ambitious about being lifted up. That's what Yeshua is talking about here. They love those places of honor at the banquets. I believe it's in Luke chapter 14. Yeshua told a parable about if you get invited to a banquet, don't sit in the front because a greater person, more honorable than you, may come in and the host of the banquet will have to say, hey, you've got to move out of the way. We've got a more honorable person that walked in. He says, make sure you sit in the back or sit in the less prestigious seat so that you'll be bumped up and not bumped back. For everyone that exalts himself shall be brought low, but he that brings himself low shall be exalted. So we shouldn't love these places of honor. That shouldn't be what we seek. Or the front seats in the synagogues. Or the greetings in the marketplaces to be called rabbi. Rabbi literally means teacher. Some people say it might mean great one. That's a possibility. Great teacher. Maybe that might be the best translation into English. There's nothing wrong with the title as it stands. I'll talk about that momentarily. But these men loved to be called that. Flattering titles. In other words, they walked through the streets there of Jerusalem and people would call out, Rabbi! Rabbi! And they would put their chest up and think, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm the rabbi. Everybody look at me. Look at my long tassels, my big phylacteries. Look at me. They love these things. They love to seek the prestige. I've seen men before get upset if you didn't call them Pastor Smith or Pastor Jones. And then they get older and then they want to be called Bishop or Apostle or Doctor. I think we should reserve some of those titles for actual physicians um, and not men that study the Bible. Once again, there's nothing wrong. I mean, we see in the Bible where people are referred to as an apostle or an elder. There's nothing wrong with the act per se, but what's wrong is when men puff themselves up and think that they're one up on everybody else and they demand that they're called these things and they begin to love these things and it begins to stroke their flesh and stroke their pride. That's what's wrong. That's what's sin. Verse 8, Yeshua says, But as for you, do not be called rabbi, because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Some manuscripts, after it says, for you have one teacher, some manuscripts 
will go on to say even the Messiah. Your Bible may say even the Messiah. Literally here, what this is saying is, in the Greek, it's literally saying, do not seek to be called rabbi. Um, nothing wrong with the term rabbi. Let's hold your finger there. Turn to the book of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, beginning at verse 25. And we're going to see another man that people called rabbi. And there was no rebuke given, nothing wrong with it. But we're going to see that this man, I've talked about this man before, this man did not seek to be called rabbi. That wasn't his motives. He didn't go around demanding that people called him rabbi. He didn't go around seeking prestige, honor, being ambitious about any of that. This man is John the baptizer. Well, in John chapter 3, verse 25, it says, Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Judahite about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, same word as in Matthew 23, verse 8. Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. Now, there's a context to all of that, but the context in this sermon is not my point. My point is, is that men came, the disciples, the students of John, came to John and they called him Rabbi. And there was no rebuke given. But see, John was a humble man. Remember, he said he wasn't even worthy to loosen the sandal strap on Yeshua's sandal. He said, I must decrease so that he must increase. So John never sought prestige. He never lifted himself up. He wore camel's hair for crying out loud and ate locusts and honey out in the wilderness. He lived out in the wilderness even before he started to preach. And he was a Levite. He had a, a father from the tribe of Levi and a mother from the tribe of Levi, according to Luke chapter 1. But he didn't seek any honor. But when these men came to him and called him rabbi, they were his students. He didn't rebuke them and say, no, you're not supposed to call me that. Matthew 23 is talking about not seeking that title. Why? Because we have one teacher. The sense is we don't need any more messiahs. We don't need any more leaders that drive people around with a, a big stick and beat people and are harsh and, and do nothing but holler and spit and things like that. That's not biblical teaching. We don't need men like that to lead. Matter of fact, men like that shouldn't lead. 1 Peter chapter 5, elders are not to lord over the people, but be an example to the flock. So we don't, we don't need any of that. He says, but as for you, don't, be, don't seek to be called rabbi, literally. For you have one teacher. You have one great teacher, even the Messiah. And you're all brothers. See that equal playing field? We're all brothers and sisters in the congregation. We are. No big eyes, no little U's, nobody better than anybody else. Just because I'm up here teaching, that doesn't mean I'm higher up on the level than people in here that are listening. Same thing when Brother TJ or Brother Arnold teaches. There's no big eyes, no little use. We're all brothers and sisters in the faith. People ask me, they say, are you a pastor? I say, well, I teach the Bible and I would prefer that you not call me pastor. I don't believe in a one-man pastor anyhow. I don't believe that's biblical. I think in the New Testament they had a plurality of elders that led, led the assembly. So I just tell people, I teach the Bible, and people just call me Brother Matthew, or just Matthew. I like it when you call me brother because we're the family of Yahweh. Who is my mother and my brother and my father but those that do the will of Yahweh? So I like to call one another brother and sister. Verse 9, Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father, 
who is in heaven. Now, here again, we don't want to take this too far, but we don't want to take it too little either. This verse is not saying that you can't call your dad, dad. What the word father means, Aramaic, Hebrew, Abba, Ab. It's not saying I can't call uh, my dad, daddy, or father. Um, even, what was it, in James chapter 2, maybe verse around verse 21, somewhere around in there. I may be off a few verses, it's okay. <laughs> but in James chapter 2, James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac upon the altar? But Yeshua says, Don't call any man father. What's the context though? Seeking these prestigious titles. One-upmanship. Trying to be bragging and prideful about the position. We don't need, in other words, we don't need any more Father Yahweh's in the congregation. We've got one Father, Yahweh, and that's the only one we need. There's no need for you to treat me like a Father Yahweh or me to treat anybody else in here like a Father Yahweh. And then he goes on, he says, and do not be called masters either because you have one master, the Messiah. Same context. That doesn't mean I can't call Tim Mr. Welting or Mr. Bowen. The word Mr. actually comes from master. In the 1800s in America, it wasn't Mr. Welting. It would have been Master Welting and Master Jansen. There's nothing wrong with using that term out of respect, but this is talking about not seeking these titles for yourself. That's what this is referring to right here. For we have one master. We don't need any more messiahs. We don't need any more Father Yahweh's. And we don't need any more teachers like Yeshua the Messiah. We're all brothers. We're all on the same playing field. And in case we didn't get that, verses 11 through 12, we'll end with that. He clarifies what he means by saying, The greatest among you will be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see that? That clarifies the meaning of the text. Not seeking for prestige. The greatest will be the one who serves. We live in a world today that's all about me, myself, and I. I, 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 me, me, me. I'm not getting enough recognition. I'm not being appreciated enough. Me, this, I, that. This is the world that we live in today. And Yeshua says, it's not to be this way with you. For the greatest among you will be the one who serves other people. Philippians chapter 2 says that we're to consider other people better than ourselves and let the mind that was in Christ be in us. He humbled himself. We're to humble ourselves and bring ourselves low. That's backwards to the world standards. The world says you've got to get your name out there. You've got to pump yourself up. You've got to be prestigious. You've got to make sure people are thankful for you and appreciate you. It feels good to be appreciated, but that should never be the driving force behind why we do what we do. We should do it because the eyes of Yahweh see. And if nobody ever praises us, and if we have to do something in secret, Yahweh will reward us openly. Brother Frankie mentioned the Matthew 6 text where when you do your alms or your charitable gifts, don't sound the shofar. I'm about to give some money. You know? Remember the guy, remember the story that Yeshua told about the, I think it might have been a Pharisee. And it said that he gave all this money in the, to the temple charity. 
But the widow, she gave her last mite that she had. And she gave more because she gave out of her lack. In other words, she didn't have much. The Pharisee had a lot. And it seemed like he was given a lot because of the amount. But really, she was giving more than him. And she was doing it just because she loved Yahweh and his temple. And the Pharisee, why was he doing it? Well, Matthew 23, 5, they do everything in order to be observed by other people. So let's sound the shofar. Let's pop the $100 bill before we throw it in the offering box or the plate. I've always wondered why churches take up an offering in public like that so that everybody can see what everybody's giving. I just don't see any Bible for that. I have no problem with offerings. I think they should be done in secret and then Yahweh rewards them openly. Matthew chapter 6. You know? He said the same thing about praying. The best prayers are the prayers that are genuinely thought about and that are short. And if you pray a, a good long prayer, it's still going to sound like the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. A good long prayer will always sound like the Lord's Prayer. I remember growing up in church one time, we had Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we were Pentecostal. I don't think anybody understood what Pentecost was. But they called us Pentecostal because probably we believed in speaking in tongues and doing all this kind of stuff that people felt was in Acts chapter 2 but really isn't in Acts chapter 2, Elijah, right? So this pastor got up. He was a visiting pastor. And man, he got up there and he said this prayer. And I mean, it was eloquent. All the words were syllabalized just right. And then another guy got up and said, Boy, that brother sure can pray a prayer. And everybody clapped. That's not of Yahweh. That's not why we pray. When I pray or when I lead prayer in the congregation, I'm not praying to you guys. I'm praying to the Heavenly Father. And Yeshua says when we pray, we don't need to pray like the heathens and think we'll be heard for our eloquent words and our much speaking. But when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And He gives us the, the example of the model prayer there. In other words, we do everything in humility. And then we let Yahweh lift us up. We don't worry about lifting up ourselves. We don't try to seek honor and exaltation and prestige. We let Yahweh lift us up. And whenever Yahweh lifts us up, it'll be right on time. It'll be just at the right time. Because it's not motivated by you and your flesh. But it's motivated by Yahweh. It's motivated by Yahweh. The greatest in here, the greatest in the eyes of Yahweh, is the one who serves is the one who looks not just after his own things, but for the well-being of others. There's nobody in here that's too good to clean a toilet or to pick up a piece of trash. There's nobody in here that's too good to do that. The greatest is the one who serves. For if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. But if we exalt ourselves, we'll be brought low. If we really believe that, we'll seek to find ways to lower ourselves and to serve others. If we really truly believe that, Yeshua believed it. He humbled Himself. Yeshua was in the form of Yahweh, the image of Yahweh more than any other man. Adam obviously was created in the image of Yahweh. 1 Corinthians 11 teaches that all men have that image. But Yeshua was in the form of Yahweh being His only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit more than anybody else, but yet He did not regard equality with Yahweh something to be seized or to be used for his own advantage. But instead, he emptied himself. And he made himself of no reputation. Now, if there ever was a man 
that deserved to be lifted up or deserved to exalt himself, it was our Messiah. He actually deserved to exalt himself, but he didn't. We deserve to be lowered, but yet we try to exalt ourselves. We're supposed to have the spirit of the Messiah. And because he lowered himself, Yahweh highly exalted him. After his resurrection, he gave him the highest position next to Father Yahweh in the universe. And that is the right hand of Almighty Yahweh. Highest position. Why? Because he humbled himself. Even to the point of death, a sinless man, beaten, bloody, naked, on a Roman cross, dying the death of a criminal, dying the death of a transgressor, of a murderer. Should have been Barabbas up there. But no, Yeshua was up there. And the Judahites were so far gone from Yahweh's law that they wanted Barabbas to go free and they wanted Yeshua to be crucified. Crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Yeshua humbled Himself to the point of death. Yahweh exalted Him. The greatest in here, brothers and sisters, if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, the greatest person in this room will be the one who serves other people, who looks for ways to lower his or herself in the sight of society and loves on people and appreciates people and hangs out with people nobody else will hang out with and is is merciful and tender-hearted and loving Let me tell you something. If Yeshua was here today, His harshest rebukes would not go to the prostitutes, to the IRS. His harshest rebukes would go to many Christian pastors. Just like in the first century, His harshest rebuke went to the scribes and the Pharisees, the pastors. Lower yourself. Serve one another. Love is service. Be kind and be gentle as our Master and Savior was. Save your rebukes for the holier than thou, like Yeshua did, for the ones who puffed themselves up. That's who Yeshua was hard on. Everybody else who knew they were lost and who just needed help, He was kind, tender, and merciful towards. He saved His rebukes for the people that were religious and that looked the part, but were pretenders and hypocrites in their life. The greatest will be the ones who are servants. Don't seek titles. Don't seek the front seats. Don't seek the places of honor. And don't do things to be seen among men. And don't think you have to overdo things. Yahweh sets the standards. Seek to be like His Son. We'll pick this back up tomorrow for the new moon service. Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through, I think, right around 27. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, we love you. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to be more humble. Please, Yahweh, Father, forgive us for trying to lift ourselves up and exalt ourselves and let us be more like your Son. Father, might we serve people, love on people, Hug people and let we know we appreciate people. Simply because we want to follow in your son's footsteps. 
and be the type of person that He was. It's not about how much we can make a name for ourselves. It's about how less of a name we can make for ourselves and how great we can uplift Your name, Father Yahweh. Father, forgive me of my sins. Help me to forgive those who sin against me. Lead me not to temptation. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. We love you, Yahweh, through your Son. Amen.